The text for the sermon this day is taken from Hebrews chapter 13 or 12, including these verses. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That is the text. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, I'm going to look again at this passage. It says, Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. So we read that passage. The first and obvious thing when we think about the sins that cling to us. I want to kind of look at this from the perspective of what starts on Tuesday for many school. So think to your typical school day. Kids are gathered in their classrooms and they're sitting at their desks and they're all paying perfect attention. Does that sound real? Nope, they tend to be antsy. And teachers have to tell them, sit down, pay attention, and things in today's age might be, put away your cell phone, listen. I actually saw a kind of a funny cartoon the other day, just yesterday, where it was this, it was this teacher that had a giant cell phone right over her face, thinking that maybe that would work. And people, the kids would pay more attention. So, like, so anyways, but we can't, we can't pretend that this is kind of a new thing, that all of a sudden, now kids, we always like to say, oh, kids are so much worse than when I was a kid. But do you know when Dennis the Menace was created? He isn't a brand new character by any stretch of the imagination. The TV show was black and white, and he's based off of the reality that Many, many people were little stinkers too. So it's not by any stretch of the imagination new. And some of you might be thinking, yep, I was that kid. And teachers lost a lot of hair and got a little bit more gray because of it. That is the fourth commandment. Honor your father and mother. Now your teacher isn't your father and mother, but if you read into the meaning, it talks about us honoring our authorities. And how does that carry into our adult life? If we ever have an employer, we're supposed to be respectful and honoring of our employer. And this is the one that we really struggle with, the government. So if you're driving down the interstate, down Highway 59, and it says 55 miles per hour, but your speedometer says 60, guess what? Same thing. So you're, at, you're getting ready for school in the morning and you're trying to figure out what to wear. Now, how many of you, when you go through that, are thinking about what other people will think about what you wear? 
And the reality is, is that we go to school and we have a specific mentality as to what people are to look like, what people are to think, how the people are to act. And if anybody does not act the right way, does not look the right way, we will snide, we'll talk about them, we will gossip, and sometimes we'll say it right to their face. And we love to pretend that only certain kids do these things, and the word we use the, is bullying, but we like to pretend only certain kids do this, but if we are honest and very introspective, we would realize that every single one of us does it to some degree. And sometimes we do it because we think we're protecting ourselves. We think, well, at least they're not making fun of me this time, so I gotta join in, so that way, you know, I gotta have that free time where I can actually poke fun at somebody. That's what happens. When you go home and you bring your homework home and you're supposed to, and your parents ask you, did you do all of your homework? And your answer is, yeah, oh, of course I did. Which may be true, but many times, nope. And again, carries into adulthood. Did you do that thing? Oh, I promised I'm going to be there. I promised I'm going to do this thing or do that thing. And you don't hold true to it? That's the Eighth Commandment. Bearing false witness. And by the way, going back to the bullying thing, that's the Fifth Commandment. Tearing down another person's reputation. Because our job as Christians is to build one another up, to build others up, not tear them down to put the best construction on everybody and on every situation. And the thing is, is yes, that carries into adulthood. If somebody is driving the wrong car, their kids are out of whack, or their grandkids or whatever, we will talk. We will say, oh, can you believe that person? Did you hear about the Joneses down the street? I should, I don't know. Hopefully that's not, anyways. Not specific enough name, but you hear about what they did. You see what they did to the house. Oh, that! Oh, you wouldn't believe what their kids are like. The same thing keeps happening. See, that is the sin of our own, our own sin, our own actions, our own thoughts that weigh us down in this race. Because yes, that's the imagery that he uses. You'd think that maybe he could talk about boxing, or maybe he could talk about the gladiatorial games, or something like that, but no, he picks a race. If you're to think in modern day high school sports, the high school sport that best represents life is cross country. And the reason is, is because you have a definite starting spot, and you have a definite ending point. And it's filled with turns and hills and gravel and all that fun stuff. Life, none of you gets to choose when you were born. My birth, I turned 40 years old next Saturday, by the way. And I did not choose August 27th as my birthday because 
The downside of August 27th, you know how many years my birthday was the first day of school? It's like, happy birthday, go have fun at school. Aww. This is like the worst party ever. And the first day is like the worst day. But anyway. But then, and on the flip side, you have no choice as to when your life is going to end. People try to think they can make that choice. But even in the case where somebody tries to take their life, we know there's some that survive it. We have no control over our start or our end. And so that's why he uses that. Everyone is predetermined, determined by God when you're born. He knows when you're going to die. But along the way, we have this race with all sorts of difficulties, all sorts of challenges, and our sin that is weighing us down, trying to keep us from entering in to the winner's circle. And it's not, and so that when he talks about this sin, the sin that we commit, he's not just talking about how that our own sins weigh us down. He's talking about how, how you are weighed down by the effects and consequences of sin. So this could be sin. So again, going back to the bullying, when you are the victim, it weighs you down. Amen. Hearing the words that people say and feeling the weight of it, that weighs us down. And it weighs us down into adulthood. The effects of family. When you go to schools, how many kids do not have a complete family? No fa either a father isn't there or a mother isn't there. Growing up, I grew up with the reality of being in a single-parent single household. I, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Inside Out, but the movie, I always related it really, relate really well to it. Because the whole story is about this girl who moves from, moves from Minnesota to a warmer climate, and she really struggles with the move. When I was a kid, I moved from Moorhead, Minnesota to a warmer climate, Ankeny, Iowa, which compared to Moorhead, it's, it is warmer, not as warm as San Francisco, but, and we left behind my mom because my parents were divorced. She was still in Moorhead. And I remember struggling greatly with not having my mom there. And there are so many kids that are living in that reality. There are so many parents that live in that reality. That one parent is not there for whatever reason. And sin itself brings disease. It brings death. How many people do we wish were here or not? Again, I could bring myself into this. Is next week, when I turn 40, it'll be the first birthday that I will not be able to talk to my mom. How many people we miss that we love. This is the weight of sin. And so the writer to the Hebrews is saying, telling, is giving these instructions. He says... 
Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. See, in that passage, he begins to give the answers to all of it. The answer to it is, is your sin weighing you down? Yes, it is. You are a sinner. You cannot go a single day, a single hour without sin. There was a Martin Luther once challenged a, per, a man to try to pray the Lord's Prayer without falling, into, without falling into sin. And the man could not do it. I mean, think about our own service. You go through the confession and absolution. You get through the, when you're saying the confession, can you honestly say that you don't ever let your mind wander as you say, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto you? I mean, how many times, quite often, you see like, oh, hey, such and such is here. That's kind of neat. Oh, they got a new haircut. That's interesting. While you're, say, while you're saying the words. Because that's our sinful nature. We, cannot, we always want to focus on everything and anything and everything but our God. And so we come here. There was a question that was asked to me this week. Somebody asked, made the comment, why don't they go to church? And they said, well, I just don't feel like I get anything out of it. Which my, well, they didn't say this. This was actually passed on to me from someone else. But just start there. In the first few minutes of the service, you hear, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Right away calling to the reality that you are a baptized child of God. You hear people sometimes say, well, I can, go, I can experience God on the golf course, or on the lake, or whatever. The difference between, if you want the God in nature... The God in nature does not just have beautiful, wonderful days like this. He also brings hurricanes. He brings earthquakes. That God is terrifying, and you, want, you do not want to stand in front of him. But the God that you come to meet here, he is here for you. He stands and he looks at what you endure, he looks at the broken in your life, the things that have happened, he has endured it all. He has been broken. He was beaten. He suffered every form of abuse known to man for you, that you may be forgiven, that you may have life in his name. And every time you gather, you are hearing about the God who came, became human flesh for you. You cannot get that looking out on a golf course. That golf, that golf ball isn't going to shout, Jesus died for you. Golf ball doesn't do it. You're not surrounded by Christians who are there to hear of the same Savior. Because yes, by the way, the gift, another gift that's right here is every, every single person in this sanctuary is a gift from God to you. And you are a gift from God to others. 
That's why if you ever read in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, leave the gift on the altar and go reconcile with your brother, it is Jesus saying, the greater gift is your brother or sister in Christ. But here's the thing this is, so right here on the altar, I have these communion wares. Those who went to Houston, Texas, might recognize it. This was the, this was the common cup that we used. This is the, where the wine was held and the, where the bread was. When you come to the altar, you have a very, very special. Whenever anybody says, I get nothing out of church, does not even grasp the extravagance of what happens every single time you come to the altar. Can you bring that picture up? So this is a picture that has circled the internet. When you come to the altar, so this is what it says in Hebrews 12. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirit of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So the sprinkled blood of the new covenant, that is the Lord's Supper. Now, you obviously don't see that on the left or at any service, because that's obviously not our church. And I'm pretty certain that's Roman Catholic, given the picture of Mary in the corner. But, when you come to the altar, and we even say this in our liturgy, therefore with and all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and saying, it's confessing what I just read. When you come to the altar, to this meal that's called communion, common union, the many coming together to be united, you receive, you come with your sin. And God, and you come, and he gives you, you receive bread, you receive wine. In that, in, with, and under that bread is the very body of the, cre the one who spoke the world into existence. The body of the one who was in the manger. The body of the one who walked, the, walked through Judea and Galilee preaching and teaching repentance and the forgiveness of sins. The very one who was nailed to the cross. His blood is in the cup that you drink. His bread is in the bo His body is in the bread by which he gives you forgiveness. He gives you life. This cup See little, what looks like cracks in it. They're not actually cracks, kind of creatively designed. But symbolizing that idea of a crack is that we are broken, and in his body and blood, we are made whole. We are made, we are made righteous. You are made a child of the most high God. Remember, how Isaiah reacted when he saw the Most High God, he thought he was about to die. He receives grace. You receive grace. But it says also that you gather 
with angels, archangels. So when you come up to communion, you are surrounded by the angels. You are united to them by the body and blood of Jesus. It also talks about the assembly of the firstborn enrolled in heaven. So this is like Peter, Paul, Moses, Abraham, all those type of people. So you are gathering with the heroes of the faith. But it also talks about the spirits of the righteous made perfect. I guarantee it, every single one of us has somebody that has died in the faith that we miss. And this is one of the most be the beautiful things. When you hear all the company of heaven, this includes everyone that has ever died in the faith. So in other words, when you come up to the Lord's Supper, you are coming to have supper with somebody that you love that died. In other words, I won't be able to have a phone, I won't be able to hear a phone call from my mom next Saturday. But this morning, I get to have supper with her. Get that? Tell me that that is not, you're not getting anything out of church. Tell me you would not love to see somebody that had died. That's that image. You see the left, but really what's going on is on the right. You were surrounded by the host of heaven, united by the author and perfecter of our faith. By that cloud of witnesses that we're surrounded by. That's why I began talking about the stained glass windows. That cloud of witnesses are reminding you they have endured it. They have made it through this world. They fought, but they are, they are with Christ in glory, and they are awaiting you. They're saying, yeah, it's tough, but I'm waiting. And Jesus, he is leading you through. To him be all glory. In Jesus' name, amen.